Ken is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are all of you. God doesn't make junk. You are, all, you are an original God's masterpiece. Well, do you feel up to some chiseling? Some of you are saying, mm, maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, the reality is that all of us need that chiseling in our life. And interestingly enough, we, we'd, sometimes I think we'd appreciate it if, if God would come and stand alongside of us and, and point out some of those things that, that we're holding on to, some of those things that keep us from really living in that renewed image of God that, that Jesus that wants us to live in. We resist that. We hold on to the stuff that, that needs to be chiseled away. And I guess all of us, if we're going to touch God's heart, we, we need to, to let him do that at times. You know, we talked over the last couple of weeks about touching the heart of God. And when we trust God, we touch his heart. When we obey God, we touch his heart. But we need to realize that when we let God touch the stuff that, that's we're holding on to, that he keeps us from living as the true children of God we are, that when we let him touch that stuff, then we really touch God's heart in an amazing way. And all of us need that, that from time to time, that, that chiseling of God. And it's interesting how he often does this. Not often does God just come alongside you and start having this kind of conversation between you and God. Often it's a conversation between you and another follower of God. And so today, again, we want to take a look at an example in David's life where he needed some chiseling in his life. It came at a time in his life when things were really going pretty well. Isn't it amazing sometimes in our own life how it's easier to trust God when things are tough? It's easier for us to, mean to obey God when things aren't always going so well. But there was a time in David's life, you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 with me, You're, we're going to see that time in his life. King David had gone through some tough times, but now, as we get to this point in 2 Samuel, David's life was going pretty well. He had gotten most of the, the wars that he needed to fight uh, behind him, and, and he was living in a palace. Things were going well. Uh, it tells us that he had several wives. Now, I don't know myself whether that's a good idea or not. I mean, uh, I think one is, is plenty. Uh, but uh, he had several wives, and it's helpful to note that in the context of what happens because he gets himself in a situation where he ends up having a sexual affair with Bathsheba. And it wasn't like he needed another wife to have sex with. He had plenty of wives for that purpose. But he kind of got himself, I think, into what we can get in ourselves into in our life, where we begin to feel we're sort of entitled to certain things. And so in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, we, we have David, and he's kind of chilling out there in his palace, and he decides to go up on the roof of his palace and kind of look things over, probably man, have I got life good, good place to live, everything's going good. And all of a sudden he looks down there, and there's this woman that's uh, taking a bath, and he, whoa, gets his attention. And all of a sudden it goes from, whoa, got his attention, to, whoa, I think I need to get her. I need to have her. And so with this sense of entitlement that's going on here, 
he doesn't even kind of sneak around with this whole thing. He sends one of his servants, I want you to go fetch her. You know, I, 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 you, you're going to go along with this because I, I'm entitled to whatever you, uh, would, uh, I would ask you for. You're going to get it for me. Brings Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, just want you to understand, he's saying, I, I think I want to have a one-night stand with Bathsheba. But then he learns that actually he's the wife of one of his friends. Uriah the Hittite had become a God follower, apparently, and had fought alongside of David in many of his battles. So he's saying, hey, you know, uh, you'd think at this point, he said, whoa, I'm going to stop, and, and uh, I'm not going to do this to my, to my best friend, his wife. Nope. He goes ahead, they, they uh, shack up, uh, and as sometimes happens when you, you do this kind of thing, somebody gets pregnant. Bathsheba gets pregnant. Okay, at this point, things are getting a little bit more complicated. You know what, was this going to be a one night stand, you know, a feel-good kind of a thing? All of a sudden, things get, because he has a sense, what is going to happen if my buddy Uriah comes home and finds out that his wife is, is pregnant? He hasn't had sex with her for a while, so he's probably going to put two and two together. Hmm, Bathsheba, how did this happen? Well, he thinks, boy, I got a good idea. I'll have Uriah come back from the battlefield. He'll have sex with his wife, and everybody will think it's their child. Not a problem. Uriah is a good follower of God. He knows that God says, if you're uh, committed to uh, the battle that God has brought you to, you don't engage in, in sex during that uh, time. So he says, no, I'll just sleep outside uh, on the porch uh, in there. Doggone it, David says, that didn't work. So then, just to try to cover things up, and uh, that he ends up actually having Uriah murdered. You can read all the, the details of this in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's kind of interesting that the heroes of God aren't always as heroic as we would like them to be. But you know, we aren't always as heroic as we think we are either, aren't we? Don't we get ourselves into trouble sometimes with feeling entitled to certain things, that we should be able to, to have stuff that we know we shouldn't have, but doggone it, we've been working hard, and, and we really have been doing a lot of good stuff, so shouldn't that compensate for the bad thing I want to do? Now here's where I think we need to see how the chisel of God really works. In chapter 12, and here's where I want you to begin following along with me, God sends his friend Nathan to him. Nathan had, was a prophet of God, but Nathan had also been a friend of David who uh, had been with him in some of those tougher times before and knew David well. And so he sends Nathan to David. There in verse 1, he says, When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, grew up with him, and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. 
he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And he points out to him then that that's exactly what you did in your relationship with Bathsheba and Uriah. And David was convicted. His sense of entitlement was chiseled away. And he knew that the only thing that he could ask for was God's forgiveness. Now, I, I think there's a lot of things that we can look at this text, but I guess the, the one thing I want to take away, and you, I want you to take away from this, is that I think all of us need to realize that, that oftentimes when it comes to that chiseling, that we need a Nathan in our life. Do you have someone, a friend in Christ, who when they see you headed down a path of selfishness, when they see you headed down a path that is hurtful to, them, to yourself, hurtful to those around you, and hurtful of your being a witness as a follower of Jesus Christ, do you have that kind of friend who can come alongside of you and not judge you and condemn you, but can help you to say, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize how selfish you are? Do you realize how you're hurting yourself and others? Do you realize how you're dishonoring God? We need that kind of person. So my, my challenge is, who is your Nathan in your life? Several weeks ago, as a faith family, I challenged you that we need to be able to find our, our faithful five, those people that we can be real with and authentic with, where we can talk about the things that we're dealing with, and they can talk with us in an honest way. And I wonder how many of us have a Nathan. And how is God calling you, maybe, to be a Nathan to somebody else in your life, where we engage in that time of helping people break down some of that plasticness that often we bring to church, where we begin to think that somehow being a Christian is about impressing God, and we forget that God doesn't want us to try to touch his heart by impressing him with how good we are. God wants us to touch his heart by being real with him and letting him know that we need his mercy and his forgiveness. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told this story because there were people in his time too that thought being religious was all about impressing God and showing off how good you were. He tells a story of a Pharisee who goes into the temple and he's praying about himself, Jesus says. God, aren't you impressed with me? I do all these religious things. I'm so good, and I'm not as bad as that person. And then he compares him with a tax collector who comes into the temple and says, Lord, I can't even look you straight in the face, but have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I want you to know the one that impressed God was not the Pharisee. It was the tax collector. David in Psalm 51, he realized that as he could be real with his badness, real with his sin, that that's what would touch the heart of God. He said, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. But how many of us like get God close to that broken heart of ours? How many of us really get real with God and let him touch the badness in us. 
or do we week after week come to church and pretend that we can be good for an hour and then go back still not letting God take away that which we're ashamed of, that which we're guilty of, that which keeps us from truly living in the freedom of the children of God. It's interesting in uh, recovery, whether it's celebrate recovery or A, the, 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 the toughest steps in recovery are the fourth and fifth steps. The fourth step is where you do that fearless moral inventory of yourself in your life, and you really get real with what it is in your life that it has gone wrong and, and looking at yourself as you really are. And then the next step is, is to be able to admit that to yourself, to God, and to another person. The people that have been in recovery say those are the toughest steps. To get to that point where you can really face yourself as you really have been and are, and then let God touch that. Today, our challenge is for you to touch the heart of God by letting that happen in your life. If you really want to touch the heart of God, you need to get real and let him touch the darkest, the deepest secrets of your life and know that he will touch them with a grace and a mercy and a forgiveness that alone will heal you. Jesus promised that he did not come to condemn us, but to save us. Jesus promised that he came to bring a healing to that which needs to be taken out of our, our lives. The rest of this service is going to be an opportunity for us to begin that process. For some it can begin today, for others it's going to, to be uh, something where you're going to need to start getting close to someone you trust and talking about the things that you've been holding on to. What we want you to do, though, is to see that this is a time to let Jesus touch you. Because you're not going to impress God with your goodness today. What you can impress God with is your realness. To realize that Jesus has already touched whatever you're ashamed of. Jesus has already touched what you're feeling guilty about. When Jesus died on the cross, he was touching our sins. He was taking them into himself and taking them away. Jesus has already touched what you don't need to hold on to for the rest of your life. So touch the heart of God today. Touch him by learning to be real by learning to, to share those deep, dark secrets with someone you trust, to touch God's heart by admitting that you're broken and that you want to live a new life in Jesus. Confess and receive the forgiveness that God wants you to receive. For he wants you to live a new life, a life free from all the garbage, from all the things that need to be chipped away. God wants you to live in his freedom, every day as a child of God. How many of you want God to start the chiseling? Today it can happen. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.